Welcome to CBJ in 30, the official podcast of the Columbus Blue Jackets. Here's Bob McElligant. Well, there's no need to look at the calendar because if I'm here, you know it's the start of a new week. You know it's got to be Monday. You know it's the day where you ask the questions and I give the answers. That's why we call it the Monday Mailbag, and I am ready to answer your questions today on this post-trade deadline edition of the Monday Mailbag. Yes, the trade deadline has come and gone. It is all over. The people that we thought were leaving indeed have left. The people that we thought were staying have indeed stayed. (laughs) So uh, the Blue Jackets trading their three free agents, uh, Last week, not even Friday. They did it before Friday. Uh, Gus Nyquist to the Minnesota Wild for a fifth-round draft pick. Jonas Corposalo and Vladislav Gavrikov went to the Los Angeles Kings for a couple of draft picks, including a first-round pick. And Jake Voracek's contract went to the Arizona Coyotes. So the Blue Jackets free up cap space and uh, all that stuff. So lots lots of good stuff. Not really good stuff, to be honest with you. I mean, the guys that left... They were very tough to see leave. And I know I'm not the only one that feels that way. I know many of you feel that way. Um, you lost your number one goalie. That's exactly what Jonas Corposalo was. He was playing as your number one goalie. Um, you know, you lose a, a really good, and you're with the injury situation that you're in right now, you lost your top defenseman in Vladislav Gavrikov. So it's uh, it wasn't easy. It wasn't fun to watch, but now... The group that is here is the group that is going to be here for the remainder of the season, and this is the group that they're going to go at it with each and every night, starting tomorrow night in uh, Pittsburgh. Well, actually started, to be honest with you, uh, in Ottawa, but let's just forget about that one. Uh, (laughs) Pittsburgh, tomorrow night, the Blue Jackets will be back in action against the Penguins, which will be a big game for the Pittsburgh Penguins because they are um, teetering right now they are absolutely teetering because they're in the playoffs but they're not in the playoffs by very much they need points big time need points if you'd like to ask a question live today you can do it Uh, if you're on twitter spaces with me do that just by requesting to be a speaker i will clear you you can come on you can ask your question it is uh, pretty simple i don't know why i'm having so many problems with uh trying to pull up Uh, Twitter on my computer so that I can see. Well, I'll still be able to see the questions that that you send me through Twitter at Bobby Mac Sports if you haven't done that already. But I cannot do it on my computer. I don't know what the heck's going on. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out together as we go along. So let me just start getting to your questions right now. We can start knocking this out because I have a trip to Pittsburgh this afternoon. And let's start with Kevin who says, with only three games in the month of March, how do you think team chemistry will develop over the month with being on the road constantly? Hopefully, if the chemistry is good, that can be carried into next season. Kevin, I like your optimism. I like your thought process, but I just don't think it's going to work that way. And I'll tell you why. I don't think whatever happens from now till the end of the year is going to carry into next year whatsoever. And the biggest reason is because there are going to be so many different players playing here through this stretch down to the end, the final 19 games, 
it's going to be a different mix next year. I mean, there's still going to be no Zach Waranski. There's still going to be no Jake Bean. There may or may not be a Justin Danforth before it's all said and done. Um, it, it's just not going to be the same. I, You could win 19 in a row, and I still don't think that that would carry into next year, quite honestly. And you may think that sounds crazy, but that's, that's what I think. It's just going to be a different mix. You're going to get that first-round pick. You're hopefully going to get a guy with that first-round pick that is going to go into the lineup immediately. And that's going to change things, especially if it's the first overall pick and it's Connor Bedard. That's really going to change things. So it's, you know, it's this is fun to talk about, and it's great if they have chemistry and yada 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 yada. But it's but it's not going to go beyond this. As of April the fourteenth, you can shut the door on this season, and you can put it in a back vault somewhere, because you probably don't want to go back and look at it ever again, unless. Unless it happens to bear the ripest fruit of all with that first overall pick in the draft. But my whole point is this season has been just a a disaster when it comes to injuries and everything the Blue Jackets have had to deal with. And it's just going to be different next year anyway. So just close the book on this thing. I don't think anything's carrying into next year. I don't. Maybe some combinations, line combinations or something, but I – I'm not looking for one single thing to come out of these last six weeks, four weeks, whatever we have left. I'm not looking for a single thing to carry over into next year. I'm looking for the the book to be shut on this disaster, put away, and move on. So we'll see. Maybe maybe something will come out of it that, you know, next year I'll say, well, these two guys played together last year in the final four weeks and and it carried over. I don't know. Team-wise, overall team-wise, forget about it. Mark Carell says, I'm a little perplexed as to why only Cole Sillinger was assigned to Cleveland prior to the trade deadline. In a season like this, with Cleveland fighting for a playoff spot, wouldn't it make sense to send Marchenko and Johnson too? Who cares about normal call-ups at this point? Well, the Blue Jackets care, Mark, because after the trade deadline, you're only allowed to have four regular call-ups. And what they did, they're down to three because what they did is they put Sillinger down in a paper transaction and they brought him right back up. So there's one of your four. If you do that with Marchenko and Johnson, then you lose two more and now you're down to only one. If you throw Tim Bernie on that list, which you could have done, now you've got none. Guys can only come up in an emergency recall situation. And as far as all the particulars of that, I'm I'm not 100% sure of the emergency recall and how it all works. And, you know, I don't know if a guy can only be up for so long if you have to send him back. And, uh, but it, the bottom line is it just it, it made it tougher. Now, when we talked to Yarmo during the trade deadline show, one of the things he said was there were players that they wanted to give an opportunity before the year was over to come up. And he mentioned Trey Fix-Wolanski, and that's nice, but he was here this year. Uh, who else was mentioned? You know, if you want to bring up Justin Richards, okay. Like, he hasn't been here this year. Um, some guys you want to bring up because you want to give them that one last little, hey, you're we're, you're still on our radar. We're, we're still with you on this. And, you know, you want them to either resign or be happier when they come back to camp next year, whatever the case may be. So uh, you do that, but... You know, the, to me, the, the Fix-Wolanskis, the Duns, and the uh, – you've seen them. 
I think they're emergency recall guys. But, again, I understand why the Blue Jackets did it. They didn't want to burn up all their call-ups by sending guys down and calling them right back up again. So that's just the, the nature of the beast. And you can say, and I think you'd be right in saying this, Marchenko and Johnson have developed just fine this year in the National Hockey League. They don't need to be down there. Do I prefer that they go on a playoff run with Cleveland? Sure, I do. I'm not going to lie to you about it. I, I think it would be great experience for them. I think it could potentially bear a lot of fruit. However, uh, the business end of it is what it is, so you have to deal with that. And they felt that uh, they were better served to do it a different way. Now, here's something else I want to look at because Cleveland right now is in last place in their division, the top five in the North Division of the American Hockey League make it to the playoffs. Now, they're only four points out, but they are in last place. So they have to uh, they have to do some climbing. And that's going to be, uh, it's going to be a challenge in and of itself. So if you're not going to send those guys down to play right now and help them get into the playoffs, if you're going to continue to keep them in the National Hockey League, then, you know, then just keep them there. Just keep them. I mean, could you? Could there have been a scenario? And I don't know. I'm just I'm spitballing here. I, I I'm wondering if they could have sent them down. Well, again, it, this is how long are you going to keep them there? If you wanted them to go down there and make sure Cleveland gets into the playoffs, then you send them down prior to the trade deadline. You bring up some other guys, and then you just leave them. You don't bring them back. Then it won't cost you transactions. Obviously, that is not something that they wanted to do. They weren't willing to move those guys out, and I'm sure there are numerous reasons for that. And I'm sure that some of them are contractual in ways. And again, I don't know anything for certain, but I'm just thinking, if if I'm looking to sign Kent Johnson long-term, and all of a sudden in the last month of the season, I'm going to slash his salary and send him to the American Hockey League and try to sell them on the fact that uh, it would be a lot better to go on a long playoff run. I'm going to have to do some selling, some big time. I've got to have a big sales pitch because uh, the reduction in pay is going to be quite a lot. So now you want to sign him to a long-term contract? Maybe you're better off just to leave him exactly where he is and let him develop. He has developed. That That's, that's for real. He has. And I said this last year, knowing what the team was going to be last year going into it, um, I said, as much as I am all about guys going to the American Hockey League and developing there, that the way this team was constructed last year and now as much, if not more so this year with all the injuries, you pretty much can develop right here. And you've got a development coaching staff, so what's the difference? And again, Kent Johnson has been getting better. Kuro Marchenko has been very good ever since he got here. Cole Sillinger, he struggled. He has struggled mightily. 41 games without a goal. So him going on that list makes plenty of sense. And again, they didn't want to burn up all the recalls, so that's how they handled it. When you look at it from that standpoint, I don't think it's uh, there's much to argue about it. So that's why the decision was made to do exactly what they did. Andrew is live with us on Twitter Spaces today. Hello, Andrew. Hey, Bob. How are you? Good. How are you? <clears throat> Oh, you know, just have COVID. Um, oh, is that it? <laughs> nothing more? The whole house has it. Yeah, you know. That thing's still around? Um, I guess so, huh? <laughs> well, this is the first time I've got it, so I've evaded it for a few years. Oh, you did a great job for a while. 
Yeah, here we are. <laughs> um, <clears throat> my main question is, when are you going to co-host with Irwin? Because Irwin is probably the, you know, I, I listened to, I've listened to you forever, but I mean, ever since Irwin came along, you got something here with Irwin. You got to, you got to do something. That sounds like a song ever since Irwin came along. <laughs> no, he's good. He, he's, <clears throat> he's knowledgeable. There's no doubt about that. He, he knows his stuff. So that's a good point. Yeah. Um, you know, you know the difference though between just having him as a guest and having him as a co-host. One's for free, and one you got to pay. Oh yeah, yeah. He he likes to work for free. So oh, he does. Uh, well, if he likes to work <laughs> for free, then I got a spot for him. <laughs> um, is Martinko the brightest spot of this season? I mean, given everything that's happened, I mean, you watch him play, and I just I can't I can't picture this team without him right now, and it's hard to imagine that they started him you know, down in Cleveland anyway, but um, I just wanted to get your thoughts on, on his play overall and, and what you've seen from him. Well, they started, they started him in Cleveland because he had been in Russia and they wanted him to get more adjusted to the North American size ice. I'm fine with that because remember, Chinikov was healthy then, Gus Nyquist was healthy, Justin Danforth was healthy. So that was an easy thing to do uh, early in the season it was to go ahead and put him on the Cleveland roster, let him get acclimated, kind of do it without the pressure of being in the NHL, and you had all those other guys who could play. But, yeah, since he's gotten here, I, I think that's a very valid point to, to say that he is the biggest bright spot because he's got 16 goals and two assists since he arrived. I really want to see him hit that 20-goal mark. Heck, I'd like to see him hit 21, to be completely honest with you. Um, and he is a, not only a fresh face, but he's got a great attitude, and he's a lot of fun. So I think you make a very good point there. I, I think um, now if Jonas Corposalo was still here, I would say that his resurgence this year and the way that he is, uh, the way he's returned to his old form, uh, might have challenged that. But he's not here anymore. So yeah, I'll go with you on Marchenko. I'm I'm good with that, Andrew. Yeah, I just love you know watching him play is mainly the re reason the main reason I tune in most nights is just to you know see him keep that streak going and try and compete with the other rookies, but, uh, yeah, I'll let you go. But, uh, thanks Bob. And, uh, thanks for all you do. Well, take care of yourself and get better. Will you? I'll try. Thank you. All right, Andrew. <laughs> thank you very much. Uh, good to have you on the show today. If you're listening on Twitter spaces and you would like to be on the show, all you have to do is request to be a speaker and I will bring you on the same way I just did with Andrew. And you can ask uh, whatever question is on your mind. Let's go back uh, to Twitter at Bobby Mac Sports. And Lauren says, I wasn't able to listen to the last two games, but how much of a role did Sean Corrales' absence play in those losses? Uh, well, a big role because you lose one of your top face-off guys. Uh, Boone Jenner and Sean Corrales would alternate on those defensive zone face-offs. All of a sudden, you have one less option, so that's a big problem. Also, the uh, the line, look, we've talked about it all year. The one line you could always count on, game in and game out. Eric Robinson, Sean Corrale, Matthew Olivier. You can call them a fourth line if you want to, but there are nights they have skated second line minutes. There are some nights they have been the best line on the ice for the Blue Jackets, and that's saying something when you have Johnny Gaudreau and Patrick Laine on your team. But it's true. It's true. So his absence is – it creates not just a hole – but a black hole in the lineup because him not being there, it just sucks a lot of the energy out of the entire team. 
Penalty killer. He's a great penalty killer. Um, veteran guy. It, it just, it's a lot. There have been a lot of injuries this year, but this one is perhaps second to Zach Wierenski's the most ill-timed injury, especially when you want to finish strong. Lauren also says, Elvis seems to be playing better, and we just gained a couple of goalies through trade, so what does that leave us in net with Corpusalo being traded to Los Angeles? Michael Hutchinson, who wound up coming into the game in relief on uh, Saturday, had to think of what day we played. Michael Hutchinson will be the backup for the remainder of the year, and you know, uh, Cleveland's going to have a three-goalie rotation, as it is. And then there's more insurance policy there. But, you know, getting Hutchinson was key. They don't want Tarasov to come up here and be the backup for the remainder of the season. That is not going to do him any good. It's not going to do the team any good, quite honestly. They know where he's going to be next year. He knows where he's going to be next year. And he just needs to concentrate on staying healthy and playing games. Very simple. So... You get the you get a goalie in exchange from the Vegas Golden Knights in the Jonathan Quick trade. That gives you somebody that can be a backup, and it'll go from there. So that's how the, the goaltending looks throughout the rest of the season. And then, you know, next year, again, you've got Merzlikens and Tarasov, and then probably sign a depth goalie for Cleveland so that you have a third guy in your system. Travis says, now that the trade deadline dust is settled, what are you looking to or expecting to see in the next six weeks to end the season? Uh, I have no idea. I have no idea. I, I You know, uh, I hope it's not going to be like it was against Ottawa the other night a lot. Uh, I hope there's still going to be competitive games. I hope they're going to be uh, in them and have a chance to win. But I really don't know what to expect. And, and the Corrali thing I was just talking about is a big reason for that because it just it changes the dynamic of so many things. I think you're going to see some young guys in here. Uh, I talked with John Davidson this morning, and he was talking about college free agents that the Blue Jackets are pursuing. And, of course, the ones they're going to be going after, or at least some of the ones they're going after, are going to be highly coveted by other teams as well. I think what the Blue Jackets might be able to offer is some playing time right now because of their situation, because of their roster. So we'll see what comes with that. But I really don't know what to expect for the rest of the year. Um, I'd like to see a hard-charging team that's going to be in every game. That's what I would like to see, and that's what I hope I'm going to see. But again, coming off the Ottawa game, and look, Ottawa's very good. They're really good. They were so much better than I had expected them to be and so much better than I remembered them being the last time we were there, quite honestly. Uh, They were flying. I mean, they are pushing to try to get into the playoffs, and they just got Jacob Chikorin, and they are – I mean, they're pushing. They are pushing right now. So coming off that game, I'm like, gee whiz. I mean, you go into Pittsburgh tomorrow, that's really a must-win game for the Penguins. Penguins have had great success. Their mental state, just seeing the Blue Jackets uniform on the other side, has got to be, we're going to win this game, especially in their building. Um, and then what do you got? You you come back home, you get St. Louis. St. Louis is basically dumped out and are kind of throwing their hands up and getting ready to retool for next year. But they still have good players. Then you're going to California. Got to play a crappy Sharks team. And then you got to play a, 
I say crappy one. They're still ahead of the Blue Jackets, so I don't. I, I'm just mean you're going to face a couple of bottom feeders in the Sharks and the Ducks, teams that are battling to have the spot that you have right now, which is best position to get the number one draft pick. Then you got the Kings. What do you think that's going to be like? You think Corpusala will start that game? I would. I would say he will. I, I do think he will. So I I don't know what to expect. I I really don't. I I told you what I hope to see, and if I see it, I'll be happy. If I don't see it, then I'll say, told you. Told you. I couldn't predict what we were going to see. Sean is next up on the show as he is uh, with us on Twitter Spaces here this afternoon. So, Sean, you need to unmute what you have. How are you doing? Good afternoon, Bob. How are you? Good. Bob, I, I'm not I'm not really one for prefacing things that I like to say, but I'm going to preface what I'm about to say by saying that if, if this is something that you don't want to touch, you don't want to talk about, you're saying I don't want to you know discuss that. I perfectly understand that. Okay. Um, I um, I'm looking around the league, and you're also a straight shooter, so I know that you'll you'll, you'll tell me what you think. Um, I'm looking around the league at three three teams in particular in our conference. Um, Buffalo, the Rangers, and the Devils. Three teams that have made strides, big strides over the last couple of years to be ultra-competitive, high-end, you know, big-time teams in this league. They've done that through a couple of different ways, changing coaching staff, uh, staffs, <clears throat> but also high draft picks. So this will be the third consecutive year that the Blue Jackets will have a top-five pick and this will also be the third consecutive year the Blue Jackets will have multiple first-round picks. <clears throat> so, from your perspective, if we, you know, and I'm I'm coming from the perspective that if we get Connor Bedard, and you know he 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 he's a game-changing, you know, franchise-changing player. If he doesn't develop the way that we envisioned, in the way that we the Liam Foody hasn't developed, in the way that. Emil Benstrom has developed in the way that Igor Chinakov has not developed. If we get these, continue to get these high end draft picks and they're not developing in the way that we thought they would, and we're not competing in the way that teams going through similar situations are competing, what other alternative is there for the Blue Jackets to remedy that? And what I'm getting at by if you don't answer this is because, you know, we're, we're talking about, you know, front office situations here. Do you get what I'm getting at, Bob? Oh, I get exactly what you're getting at. But first, before I uh, tackle this, uh, Foodie and Bemstrom, I'm on board with you, but Chinikoff, I think, is a different story. I, I I wouldn't say he's not developing. I mean, he he was playing fine, and then he got hurt for weeks. So I, I don't think he goes into the group with the other two. I think Liam Foodie, from what I've seen to this point, uh, he and Emil Bemstrom are what I like to call 4A players which means, and this is a baseball reference, you know, you're too good for AAA, but you're not quite good enough to stick and be effective every day in the big leagues. And and, and that's where I see Foodie and Bemstrom, you know. I mean, they've played in the American League, and, you know, Bemstrom was tearing up the American League. And he comes up here, and it's the same old Emil Bemstrom that we've seen for the last couple of years. And I know what he did when he played in the Swedish Hockey League, and it's just, to me, it's so far away from that now that, Look, you you got to look to cut the cord on that, and and Foodie's the same way. I love the kid. I'm both of them, they're they're both great guys, but that to me, 
Those things are not so much development things. I think, what was Foodie taking at 18 or something like that? I mean, once you once you get into that second tier, a lot of times it is a crapshoot. So, you know, that's one thing. The Bemstrom, it's just he, he's been given multiple opportunities to grab a spot and hold a spot and keep a spot. He's gotten more opportunities than most, and he cannot do it. So that's not a development thing to me. That's just a he, he just can't do it. I mean, at some point you just say you throw your hands up and you go, we've tried everything, and it doesn't work. Sorry, go ahead. No, I'm, I'm sorry, Bob. I just have you know, maybe a follow-up real quick. Let's yeah. just say all things the same on this roster, right? No crazy trades, all things the same, all the obvious people that you would think over the next – two to three years would be on the roster. What I'm getting at is Merz Lincoln's is the starter. Tarasov is a, you know, great backup. We have Wrensky back. You have Danforth back. You have, you know, a full complement of guys you're going to get back. Right. That's, that's the case on top of getting Connor Bedard, all things work out and we get Connor Bedard. So we have the full complement of guys that you would anticipate to have plus Connor Bedard. If this team were to not make a serious playoff push, with that being the case over the next, we'll say two to three years in your, in your view, would that be an unacceptable result? Yes, absolutely. And and you said two to three years, and I'm glad you did because the, the first year, which would be next year, that's, I'm I wouldn't hold them to that. You know, you would hope that you could get there, but I wouldn't hold them to that. But by the time you get to, especially with a Connor Bedard, by the time you get to a year two, Yes, and if you actually if you give a grace period through year two, you get to year three. If you're looking at the same thing, then everything changes. And even by year two, even by year two, and maybe by year one, I don't know. It depends how people look at it. It starts with coaching staff, right? What you're talking about with development that starts with coaching staff. So they would go first, and then if it continues, then it's going to go higher. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And just putting a bow on this whole thing, that's where I brought up the first the first uh, three teams that I brought up, Buffalo, the Devils, and the Rangers. If you look at the Rangers the last, you know, four years, five years, they have not been a very competitive th- uh, team. Obviously, the Buffalo hasn't. The Devils have been the same case. So they've seemed to kind of really, whatever you want to call it, retool, rebuild, whatever the case may be, they've seemed to really find that gear, right? And they're humming right now. And we are where we are. So if we continue to get these high-end draft picks, these multiple first-round draft picks with no result, I'm just wondering what other avenues there can be to remedy that. And I'll just – that's all I got to say. Thank yeah, you, and, 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 look at it, and look at those two teams too. I mean, you, you look, you had uh, the Rangers, had David Quinn, who's a young guy coming out of college, uh, basically a development coach, a young coach, when their players were younger, right? And then when it became time to win, what happened? He was out. Gerard Gallant is in. You look at the Devils, same thing. Now, John Hines has been around. I get it. But it got to a certain point, and they felt that they needed an experienced coach, and they brought in Lindy Ruff, and John Hines was out. So what I'm saying here is that pattern. Here, let me ask you a question, Sean. I love asking people this question. Do you remember who Sidney Crosby's first NHL coach was? It was a uh, Mike Terrigan. No, it wasn't. No, no, it was not Michelle Terrigan, and that's what many people say. It was Eddie Olchick. Okay, he came from the broadcast booth to the 
bench to coach? <laughs> I do remember that now. Okay, yeah. so 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 here's my point. That wasn't going to work, and they knew it, and then they moved on. They got Terry, and Terry and worked for a while. Then it went to Bosma, blah, blah, blah. So but that's my whole point is when you get the young group, you know, you can have a development coach. And I'm not saying that Brad Larson's not going to push himself into um, going beyond being a development coach, but he's going to need to because of what you were just talking about, right? Because if you've, if you've got the talent and then you're not getting the results, then there's got to be a change. And for me, uh, for me, real quickly, I think it, an absolute ace in the hole, wild card, potentially even more than Connor Bedard, which is crazy to say, is David Juracek, because we simply have not had anybody like him since we've had, you know, since we lost Seth Jones. Big right-handed guy. He'll play end game, end of game. He'll play power play. He'll play shorthanded. He's just we have not had a guy like that, and I think that he's a guy that could really adds some stability to the back end, especially in his transition game. He gains the offensive zone so well for a big guy. I'm really excited about him. Well, I, I am too, but let's pump the brakes just a second. He's going to be 19 years old next year. You're looking at two seasons of NHL play before you're going to see what you're looking for consistently. Right. But I, I'll take that over nothing. You no, know no, I, mean? I, I agree with you. I'm just reminding you that just <laughs> yeah. because he comes here next year, don't think that you get that right out no, of the shoot. He's not, he, he, he's not going to be Carlson next year. I'm not. I'm not saying that at all. But if we have, if we can, you're not talking Sean, about Gabriel Carlson, are you? You're talking. No, no, Lord, no. Oh, I got, oh no. If he's Gabriel he's Carlson, then there's so many problems that we should just I walk meant, away. I meant, I meant Eric Carlson. I wasn't. <laughs> I know. I, was, I meant Eric. Yeah, yeah. But no, I'm just. Um, you know, if we can mess around and have some other some other defenseman that can get. 30 points besides Wierenski, I think that'd be kind of cool. Oh, not only cool, it's almost a necessity in the league now, right? If you want to compete, if you want to compete, you want to compete in the Eastern Conference, if you want to compete in the Metropolitan Division, you've got to get points from wherever you can. And if that means getting more from the blue line, so be it. Because there are other teams in this division and in this conference that are getting it. So, yeah, it's it would be beyond cool. It would be, it's (laughs) going to be necessary. All right, well, thank you, Bob. I Did I attack it. it all for you, Sean? Oh, as always, as always, hit out of the park. All I really right. appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks for being on today. I really appreciate that. See how easy it is. So easy just to come on if you're on Twitter Spaces to request to be a speaker and and be on the show. It's really, it's so simple, like even I could do it if I was on your end of it, quite frankly. Let me see, what else do I have here on Twitter today? Troy says, do you think it's realistic for the Blue Jackets to flip some of their draft assets to Philly for Kevin Hayes? And do you think Hayes would be a good fit? Apparently, Torts wants him out, so I assume the asking price wouldn't be too high, and maybe we could get some of his salary retained. Yeah, that all seems well and good. And I know that he's Johnny Gaudreau's friend and all of that stuff, but I just don't know. I Remember when Kevin Hayes went to the Flyers years ago and the Blue Jackets kept on coming up in those trade discussions. How many years ago was that? It was me- it was it was as many years ago that I would say he was more of a player in his prime than he is now. Would he work here? Maybe. Uh, I wouldn't give up a lot for him. Honestly, you made a good good point there, Troy. Uh, Torts Torts has been he's been Torts's whipping boy since the minute Torts got hired. Um, so. You might be able to get him at a lower price, but 
it sounds good, looks good on paper, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I, I don't, I wouldn't be spending big. And, you know, they, they've got to get some older players in here, but you have to get the right older players in here. And I don't know Kevin Hayes personally, so I don't know if he's the right older player to get in here. Daryl says, what are your thoughts on Yarmo just assigning Cylinder on paper to Cleveland? Should he have sent uh, the other guys? Well, I addressed that earlier. So, Daryl, if you missed that, uh, just go back and listen to the replay on the podcast, and you'll be able to get that answer as to why they did that. I broke it down uh, expertly, if I do say so myself. <laughs> oh, here's a good one. CBJ fan says, if the front office came to you and made you head scout, yeah, right. Who would you select with the fourth pick? Let's say that Bedard, Fantilli, Carlson are the first three, and they are already off the board. Who would you take with the fourth pick? Well, you're asking me. Not a draft expert by any means, not a scouting expert by any means, but I'm going to say this. And many of you are going to cringe. Many of you are going to say why. Many of you are going to say you're out of your mind. But I think that I would pick the, uh, and I watch me say his name wrong, Matvey Michkov, the Russian kid. Now, why would I pick him? Because he is already set to play for the next couple of years in the KHL, right? That's what you're going to say. Why would, you're not going to get this guy for three years. Why would you do that? Well, I'll tell you, because I think he is the most gifted once you get beyond those three. And I think he is uh, a difference maker. I think he's a player that, even though you're going to have to wait for him for three years, you're still going to have to wait for those other guys for two to three years anyway to get their experience and to really find their game in the NHL. And I think if you're not going to get Connor Bedard and you're not going to get the big Adam Fantilli and then the Carlson kid is, you know, okay. I don't know as much about him as the other two, honestly. But but this kid, watch this kid's highlights. It's ridiculous. Like, to me, he's, you've, Bedard and him are the two most talented guys. So... Yeah, you're going to have to wait. And then you're going to say, well, there's going to be that uncertainty. What's going to go on? Will he ever come over? Who knows? Well, who knows if Marchenko was ever going to come over? Here he is. Who knows if Voronkov is going to come over? He's supposed to come over next year. So, you know, the, the talent. I mean, the kid is uh, kid's a potential star. And are you looking for potential stars? I am. So, Maybe. If I, if I get pushed to fourth and I look it over, I think that I would be uh, willing to take the risk. Now, if I'm a GM and I take the risk and it never pans out, I probably just sealed my fate. I get it. You have to have some uh, pretty big, you know, to, to make that pick, I think. But you asked me who I would take, and that's who I would take. Let's bring on Irwin. Hello, Irwin. Hello, Bob. Now, did you hear yeah. somebody earlier was pushing you as a co-host? No, I did not hear that. I uh, didn't join the show until about 20 minutes in. Ah, well, 
So I don't know which one of your friends is doing that, but uh, they're trying to get you more time. Yeah, well, it happens. <laughs> yeah, you know, if, if you thought the Blue Jackets were bad on Saturday night, I sat and watched Tampa Bay play Carolina yesterday, and I was shocked at the way Carolina just walked all over them. I don't know if you saw any of it, but Tampa Bay had four shots on goal through two periods. Yeah, I did see that. Yeah, they absolutely got dismantled. But that's not what I want to talk about. Um, well, you got to follow up on that. Do you think that that's a? Do you think that? Do you think that they're going to be in bad shape when the playoffs start, or do you think that's John Cooper sat the top three guys a couple of games ago? Was that in retaliation for that? Or was it just a bad game for them? Or are they just waiting until the playoffs start because they feel they're that good that they can just turn it on and go? I, I don't know if it's that simple. I mean, I, I kind of look at the East. It's very competitive. Carolina is a good team. And uh, I, I got to tell you, I, I think they're the one team that could ruin Boston's party. Uh, Boston is good, but I think Carolina could beat them. I think all they have to do is go into Boston and steal one game if those two teams meet up in the playoffs. I, I think it's more of a testament to how good Carolina is right now than how Tampa Bay is playing. Yes, I know that the day before, I think it was in Detroit, they sat their top line for the third period. But, I mean, Tampa uh, Carolina is just on a whole other level right now. They really are. And Jacob Slavin is off the chart. Hey, he is, but I'm still not sold on their goaltending. Well, we will see. They should have traded for Corpusalo, I guess. But anyway, <laughs> Pittsburgh should have <laughs> traded for Corpusalo, quite frankly. Yeah, they probably should have. But anyway, two things. I would pass on Kevin Hayes because he's got three years left on a contract that pays him north of seven million. Yeah, yeah, that's I I, that's a great point. I should have brought that up. You're right on that. Yeah, although you may disagree with me on this, I wouldn't mind having the last two years of Provorov's contract. He's from the same town as Gavrikov. Speaks better English. And we'd be a great mentor to our young Russian players, I think. That's a good point. That's a really good point because, you know, those guys, I was going to say they're lost. They're not lost, but, I mean, he was. He was the, you know, for Chinikov and for Marchenko, uh, that was a guy they were looking to because he's he's been here and he's such a easy guy to get along with. And he was uh, he was an easy guy to lean on, and now he's gone. So that's a, that's a really good point. And you're right. You're not just taking a guy because he happens to be a Russian. You're taking a guy that's a good player that happens to be a Russian with some uh, experience in the league now. So that's a good point. Yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing him on a second pairing with Bo Quist and having next year, hopefully, Juracek, who I believe will work out with Zach. I think that's a pretty good uh, top four right there. The other thing I wanted to throw at you, and you'll probably think I'm nuts, but I like to think outside the box. They shed a lot of payroll last week, and a guy I would love to go after, and I have my reasons, Cole Caulfield is an RFA, and I wouldn't mind extending him a uh, an offer sheet, especially if you land Bedard, because I would get awful excited over a Caulfield, Bedard, Gaudreau top line. And one of the reasons why I would do it, although it seems a bit spiteful, is I've always thought the Montreal Canadiens were the driving force behind that whole Dubois thing two years ago. Oh, maybe they... Yeah, maybe they are, maybe they aren't. But uh, when it comes to uh, uh, Caulfield himself, I like that guy when he played junior. I mean, he's a good player. He, yeah, I'd love, I'd love to have him on my team. And uh, you know, the offer sheets thing—it always sounds so good to talk about. And then so many teams are afraid to do it, or they never do it. Um, you know, Carolina and Montreal did it there a couple of years ago with uh, Kotkaniemi, but uh, Ajo one way, and then Ajo re-signed to Carolina, and then Carolina offered sheeted Kotkaniemi, and he left Montreal. But um, I, I I do like that. I If you're going to spend money, 
as you were just saying, if you've got the money to spend, spend it wisely. And and he checks the box of somebody that's a young player, but he's got experience now. Um, he has a, a great upside. And that potential line that you just talked about would be pretty sweet line to put out there night in and night out, wouldn't it? Yes, it would. I mean, he's 123 games into his career, which is exactly one and one half seasons. He's put up 53 goals, which means just at the age he's at now, he's averaging 36 goals a season. He's only going to get better. The only thing that would scare me is he's not a very big guy. Those are the things that kind of bug me. But we do have people on our team now that if you decide to pick on our smaller players, you'll have to answer to them. That's true, but that is true, but there's still, I hate to say this, but I still wonder, I'll put it this way. I still wonder if there are too many small players on this team. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I do get your point. I mean, at times I worry about their durability, just like I do like Nick Blankenberg, but he tries to play bigger than he is. And I wonder if we're going to see a player over the course of his career who's hurt as often as he is healthy. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know how he ever plays 82 games in a season playing the way that he is. And I also don't see him playing any other way. So you better have eight or nine defensemen ready because that's what it's going to take. Well, therein is another reason why I wouldn't mind getting Provorov. I think you would say for maybe Boquist, that top four that I just mentioned to you on, on the blue line, I think they would be healthy most of the time. And, of course, you would on, on the back end of that, you would have good Branson and then some mix of either Blankenberg, Bernie, or uh, Bean, we'd see how it would, would play out. But certainly, I, I would like to see some changes in the offseason. I'm kind of like the earlier uh, caller. I, I, I've kind of seen all I want to see of Foodie and Bemstrom, and, and hopefully next year they'll have moved on from them. I, I don't see how they can't, to be honest. I mean, I guess I probably would have said that about Bemstrom in October, and here he is, but it's it's the same old story. It's it's the same song over and over with him. Uh, he just he just can't do it in this league. I, and if he goes somewhere else and does it, and I know that's what you worry about as a general manager. It, well, this guy had such a great, you know, he, he scored more than Peter Forsberg did in the Swedish league, and he's going to be great. Well, he hasn't been great. And your fear is he goes somewhere else and he's going to be great and you're going to be look bad, or you're going to be made to look bad. If it was me, I'd step in front of a microphone and say, you know what? We gave him four years here. He never did any of that stuff. How could I ever predict that it was going to work for him over there? Congratulations to him. Good for him. I like the kid. He's finally taking advantage somewhere and move on. Yeah, but I would consider it a bad sign if we have opening night next year. and In our bottom six forwards, I'm looking at Foodie and Bemstrom again. I, I don't think I would be too happy about that. Certainly, there would be better options out there, either through trade or free agency. For sure. Yeah. Hey, nice talking to you. Good talking to you, Erwin. Appreciate it. Always good stuff. He always brings it to the table. Hey, if you would like to uh, ask a question or have any thoughts, whatever it is, uh, you can. And if you're on Twitter Spaces live right now, then you can ask that question. If you're listening to the podcast, well, you've already missed your chance and you have to wait until next week. Uh, what do I have here? Uh, Tyler, if the thought is the Blue Jackets look to acquire a more veteran player at center, Moving the late first-round pick and others, do you believe off the roster it's Roslovic, then Foodie, Robinson, Bemstrom? Obviously, we have a lot of wings, and that's been noted. Um, we just talked about Foodie and Bemstrom. No need to go into that anymore. Eric Robinson's won himself a spot here. Sean Corrales still here next year. Matthew Olivier will be here. Eric Robinson has a spot with them 
based on what he has done all this year. I think you're going to have to – it's going to take more to push Eric Robinson out of the spot now than at times in the past, I believe. I think he's kind of solidified. Uh, Roslovic, uh, would it be him off the roster? Probably. If Voronkov comes over here and if Sillinger is here, which he will be, I mean, he, unless he was – unless for some reason he started in Cleveland, but let's just figure he's going to be here. So now you've got Boone, Sillinger, uh, Voronkov, Corrali, and then you're going to bring in uh, Bedard, which you could start on the wing if you wanted to. If Fantilli comes in, he'll probably start at center. So now you got five centers. Now who are you going to move to the wing? And I haven't even counted Jack Roslevic, right? So one would think that that would be the probable thing to do if they can if they can move him and depending upon what they would get and all of that stuff. And, you know, here's another guy that is an absolute enigma to me. I, I don't get it. Some days he looks so good. Some shifts he looks so good. And then he's not there for so long. I, I just, it, he is, um, if he could just consistently put his game together, he would be uh, making a lot of money in this league for a long time, for sure. Duncan says, Kent Johnson already has that kind of experience. Oh, wait a minute. Mike has, uh, Kent Johnson already has that kind of experience, too. I thought he was replying to somebody else, but I guess not. Uh, went to the finals with Michigan, gold medal at the World Juniors, went to the Olympics. He doesn't need to experience an AHL playoff push. Okay, now got it. Marchenko has been a KHL pro for three years himself. These aren't normal kids. No, they're not. They're not normal kids. But the whole thing about going down there wasn't uh, – oh, and Duncan sent another tweet. He says, congratulations, you just drafted the second-best player in the draft at fourth overall. <laughs> Maybe I could be a scout then, Duncan. Thanks. Um, no, you're right about Kent Johnson having that experience in those big games. I understand what you're saying. But, but, this is about – this wouldn't be about Kent Johnson winning a Calder Cup in the American Hockey League. This would be about Kent Johnson, Cole Sillinger, Kirill Marchenko, Daniil Tarasov, Igor Chinikov, all winning it together. Flashback to when it was Jonas Corposalo, Josh Anderson, Oliver Bjorkstrand, Zach Wierenski. You know, when those guys got to the National Hockey League, it changed a lot of things here. And the way it changed a lot of things was this was a franchise that I don't care what they say, and I, when I say they, I mean the players that were here. I don't care what they say. Losing was okay. Losing was, yeah, well, we tried. We tried and it didn't work out. Oh, well. That's how it was. And then John Tortorella comes in and takes away a lot of that mindset. But those players came in here, Zach having had success in college, and they came in here and they just expected to win. Josh Anderson came in from the London Knights, always a good program in the Ontario Hockey League. Oliver Bjorkstrand played in the Western Hockey League, always putting up a lot of points, having success. They win a Calder Cup. They come here. They expect to win. Losing was not in their vocabulary. They didn't expect to come here and try but lose and be okay with it. They were bred to be winners. So when you're talking about sending guys to Cleveland to play and win a cup, it's not for their... That part, to me, is not for their individual development. That part, to me, is to develop as a group. 
and come as a core with the mindset that we're not losers and we're not going to lose because right now they're they're losing. It's not a good team right now. It's not the team it's supposed to be right now and all that. I get it. I understand. But you don't want that kind of mentality to where you don't want them to feel like it's okay to lose. And if you put them there and you have to push to the playoffs and then you push the whole way through it and you win, then you just expect to win all the time. So that's what it was. That's what That was my perspective as far as those guys going down there. Blue Jackets are in Pittsburgh tomorrow night taking on the Penguins. That'll be a 7 o'clock face-off. Airtime is 6.30 with pregame coverage both on the Blue Jackets radio network with Dylan Tyre and me and on Bally Sports Ohio with, well, pregame will be with Brian Kieselslaw and Jean-Luc Grandpierre. And then the face-off will be set at 7 o'clock tomorrow night. One of two remaining games against the Penguins. The Blue Jackets have a chance to give the Penguins uh, a kick right where you don't want to be kicked. They do. And how often does that happen? But if the Blue Jackets could go in there and take the points tomorrow night, that would be a big blow to the Pittsburgh Penguins. And then late in the year here, coming down into the final week, I think it is, is when that home game is at Nationwide Arena, when the Penguins really need the points. Ho, 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 ho. Could you imagine? Could you imagine if the Blue Jackets could be a difference maker in whether or not the Pittsburgh Penguins make the playoffs for a 16th straight year, I think, maybe? Oh, oh. we'll see what happens tomorrow night in Pittsburgh. Thanks for being with me today. Thanks for all the great questions. Whether you asked them live or whether you sent them to me, it doesn't matter. It's all the same. You asked, I answered. That's the Monday Mailbag. Until next time, I am Bob McElligot saying so long.